Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Friday afternoon. We are breaking down the Club America game. Yeah. Not much of an intro for you. I really don't have a creative introduction for you. Uh, We're just going to dive right into the game with a friend of the program and my Fox Sports The Gambler compatriot. It's Joe Tanzi, everybody. What's up, Joe? What's going on? You don't need any intro when you're up until past midnight, especially especially you since you have a child. (laughs) I feel like... uh, you know, I wanted to do this, uh, you know, as quickly. I don't like doing podcasts like right after games. I think Dave and I did it once for the um, for the Open Cup final in 2018, the Houston game, because then you get immediate reaction. But I always like to sleep on stuff and think about it, you know, because um, as you well know, uh, you know, Philadelphia sports Twitter, nothing, I don't think anything is ever good is said 15 minutes after a, <laughs> after a game <laughs> uh, you know eagles uh, no. whether you're whether you're talking about eagles and phillies and flyers you're calling up wip you're calling I mean, 97. Joe, joe flacco's starting quarterback so right right well he had more passing yards than jalen hurts right so even though uh 90 of them were on a one screen pass right so we like to sleep on it. we like to think logically and kind of come back around to where we are so um you know, I always throw it to the guest first. I mean, twelve after sleeping on it and now waking up and thinking about what happened last night. Um, what, what what's your reaction to what happened down there? Yeah, I think it's kind of the same as I had last night. Is this team preaches hope and uh, togetherness of the group, and we can come back and uh, and fight as one. And I, I feel like all those team principles are still alive. And I feel like if they had gone down three nothing, it would have been a completely kind of shift in morale. So I, I look at it as the glass half full side is there's still hope. You're playing at home. Uh, you have your two summer signings are coming in, hopefully available. I mean, Mateus Davos down in in Mexico with them, and, and who knows what happens with Bueno's visa stuff. So. You have that. I mean, you're, you're more full strength, but the glass half empty is uh, you didn't play well last night. And h- how does that change a month from now when Club America has more games under their legs? And yeah. let's be honest, there's going to be some type of fan split at Super Park. It's not going to be 100,000% union fans. So uh i mean look at it it's kind of a choose your own adventure type thing here uh you can go glass out full and say hey they 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 can pull a goal back in the in the first half and that's the message the team's going to preach for the next month but the glass half empty is club america is still a much better team and uh, i think we agree that that showed last night i think you know if you told me beforehand that well well look i mean i think the i think we all agreed and you and me and Sean were talking about this last night during the game, but I think we all agreed that if they came back, if they got through the first leg and just gave themselves a fighting chance in the second leg at home, then that was going to be considered a win, no matter what the circumstances are, you know? But, um, and they did that, you know, for all intents and purposes, they come back home at 2 nothing. They can 
score against Club America at home. They can be competitive against. I think they can play with these guys. Do they win the the series? I don't think so. But they weren't the favorite going into it. But I, th- I think you're. I think when you look at the way that they conceded and the goals that they gave up, it has to leave a sour taste in your mouth. You know. So if you're going Philadelphia based on the fact that they have a fighting chance, it's like look. A deflect a, a free kick that goes into the wall bounces right back to the dude, then deflects off a gosh dog and goes in. That's a shitty way to concede. Giving up a questionable penalty that they had to look at on VAR eight or nine times in a row, that's a crappy way to concede. And so I don't I don't think the union played a good game last night, but I don't think they played a bad game either. And I think if you're looking at stuff that's preventable. Uh, if you're going to chalk it up to bad luck or bad reffing or anything like that, you would say, well, look, I mean, if you're Jose Martinez, don't go to ground in the first place in the box. Or if you're Jack Elliott, try not to foul right around the box. And so, you know, you can trace everything back to a, a blaming the union for something. But I don't know. It's just a weird feeling to me because I'm kind of like half in and half out because I, I don't think they played a terrible game. But, um, you know, I think the stuff they did was probably preventable too. Yeah, I think the, the perfect line, I think you said it last night, was – if you told somebody that the union would lose two nothing, you take it. But then after the 90, you see that result and you see how it transpired and you could make an argument that you feel let down. Yeah. So I feel like it's, yeah. it's definitely a perspective thing. There's no doubt about it. You can spin this result in any way you want. It, it really comes down to your individual perspective on this because on paper, they have a fighting chance, but when you watch the game, Club America, they didn't play their best game. I, I would probably grade them like what, like a a B minus at best. Yeah, they were just kind of cruising. Yeah, and and I, I know they have an extra gear, <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of it's it, it, and the Union haven't shown outside of the Toronto FC game in the last six weeks that they have that extra gear and. Um, I don't even know if, you know, look, I, can, I can't tell you a damn thing about what Mateus Davo brings other than some <laughs> YouTube clips set to Brazilian techno music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, that's, and that's what we all know. That's what we all know about these new signings unless they play in a big European league and actually watch them. I mean, heck, we didn't know what Daniel Gazdag would do. None of us watched the Hungarian league. So no. uh, we, we don't know what impact these guys are going to make. We don't know what kind of form they're going to be in in a month, but they got, they don't have to leave the I-95 corridor now until October 3rd. So That's these big. guys, it's yeah. huge. These guys are going to, they're finally getting the conference of home. The two road trips are DC and Red Bull, which they've done a bajillion times. So you at least have that going for you. You can create your own momentum at home. And, um, and I think you can, you can bank off of the Toronto and New England games and say, okay, this is, this is us. We, we put our hearts in the line. We, we played well. America, you know, a, a break or two here and, and things are different. Maybe it's one, nothing, but I mean, and there, there's a path to at least create that momentum and the yeah. hype going into that game. And I think, again, that, that's really all you can ask for. I think so. And you know what it reminds me of? It it, it kind of like I, w- I would compare this to a college football game where let's say you're Rutgers, right? And let's say Rutgers went to Penn State in the Big Ten. And Rutgers went into Rutgers fans went into it saying, look, we're probably not going to win. 
you know, like resigned yourself to the fact that Penn State's the better team. But you're kind of like competitive early and you get down in the red zone and you like fumble the ball on like the 10-yard line, you know. And Penn State's playing okay, but they're not really at their best either. And you end up losing like 20 to 10, right? And so you're like, oh, yeah, 20 to 10 is like a respectable it's, loss. It's, to it's 20 to 10 with an 0 for 4 red zone success rate. Yeah, you're 0 for 4 in the red zone or like your kicker misses like a gimme or, mm-hmm. you know, the the touchdown that Penn State did score came on some like broken bullshit play or something. Like you know what punt, I mean? It was like a punt return or something. Yeah, like a punt return. So I don't that's why it's kind of leaves me with a little bit of a a sour taste because I I I feel like when I woke up this morning I'm like 2 nothing is is okay, I guess, but like I I really feel like that was a one nothing game. And my prediction almost went perfect. <laughs> yeah, I went on Twitter. I think I went on Twitter the other day and I said, it's probably, my predict, official prediction is Club America won, Union nothing, Andre Blake with a big save early. So I thought I was cruising uh, at that point, and then it changed. But um, and, and look, the, enti- the entire game changes if one chance goes in in the second minute because they, they yeah. caught and then And I tweeted it immediately. I, I knew it. That was the chance. That was it, man. And I hate the fact that like we're sitting there in the second minute and thinking like, well, that was it. You know, like you got 80, uh, you know, you got 90 whatever minutes left to play, including stoppage time. And you're sitting there in the second minute thinking that that was it. You know, that that's the best opportunity. And, and it's crazy. It's crazy to think that way, but it, it ended up being. But really it's deep. true. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, look, if, if Casper gets on the end of that. We're talking about a, a completely different ball game, regardless of what the score is, because away goals are like are, are the hottest commodity you could have. Yeah, most valuable in, in knockout round soccer, because then you at least say, okay, we can see the three times, but the away goals there, and if we just tie America on aggregate, yeah, we're good. And it's it's a completely different dynamic. But man, I just. Uh, I have kind of a different. I'm sorry, I didn't mean. To, no, go no, ahead no, and go finish ahead. with you. Oh no! So I was going to say, I was going to say that like, um, it, I think when you take that, like what you're saying, and then combine it with the fact that like there were barely any fans in the stadium and the weather wasn't a killer, mm-hmm. and like think about the fact that like you're never going to get that again. Nope. You know, like that's never. You know, it really couldn't have lined up any better. And same with Saprisa too. If you go back to to that series where Saprisa was is the worst that they've been in a while, and there's no fans there. And like I think it's just like you you add that in, and it's like ah, uh, it it does feel like a blown opportunity. You know, it does feel like they could have got out of there with a one nothing or something. And I think I think you know one one thought that I had this morning that I didn't really have last night, but I, I went out on Twitter. And I said that I thought Club America played a pretty conservative game. And Solari said, like Santiago Solari said, look, like we respect the union and we we studied them and we like know what they're all about. And we took them seriously. And I believe that because mm-hmm. you, know, you could tell that they did their research on the union. They, they tried to use the flanks and they just tried to kind of go around Bedoya and around Flock and kind of isolate the fullback. So they didn't play into the middle of the field because they respected the fact that the union are kind of good at squeezing teams there. And that's where the strength is. So they just kind of went down the flanks. They're content to knock the ball around, um, you know, put Alvis Powell on an island, put Kai Wagner on an island and try to go that way. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny to think too, that like, because they didn't have like a full stadium there is that they could play a conservative kind of game and just be content to not concede and not let the union counter on him or whatever. Can you imagine if there was like a hundred thousand people in that stadium, the club of America was just sort of, you know, fucking around with the ball or whatever, not really looking to go to goal. 
the fans would have been on their ass. Oh yeah, no, you know, I was saying like go go go. Let's what are we doing here? You know, if, if that's a stacked stadium, I think you're looking at three nothing, four nothing. Yeah, because and look, I you brought up the the 2018 Open Cup early on, and it the way you I guess presented that as the opportunity was there. Everything kind of feels like lining up and, and the result wasn't there. My mind immediately shifts to that open cup final with Houston because everything was there. I, I hate to rehash this, this memory because yeah. I feel like I do it. It's a, my like fallback comparison, but uh, it felt like everything was there for them and it was gone in 10 minutes. And it, it almost felt like yeah. the opportunity now on a completely different stage before you kill me for this comparison, it's a completely different stage. And I know that I'm talking more of like an emotional type thing. Um, it was there. It was absolutely there. And, and, yeah. and you come away one, nothing, you treat that like a victory. And um, the, the more I look at the, the penalties, I think my, my opinion on the penalties is if you're going to call the Martinez one, yeah, you call the Burke one. I don't think either of them are penalties. Um, I I still look at the Burke replay, and I feel like his shoulder, I think it's his right shoulder, the one closest to the defender. Mm-hmm. I think it, it looks like it dips a little bit before he makes contact with the defender, and that's probably what the VAR is looking at and saying, mm-hmm. or, or VAR is just saying it, you know, it's just, it's man-on-man combat in the box, but if that... Martinez valid, which I think is soft, especially by CONCACAF standards. Um, you got to call the other one. I, I feel like that's kind of how it goes. It's not a makeup call. It's just, it's kind of the, yeah. you, know, you have a strike zone. You got to be consistent with it for both teams. Well, it's true. And, you know, I look at the Brujo Martinez one about a hundred times between, you know, now and the last time we spoke and look like the, Club America guy goes over pretty easily, but he is literally not moving, right? He's standing in that exact spot, right? So because of, by the virtue of that, we know that Martinez was going to slide right into him, you know, was going to go into his space, even if it was just a foot on foot kind of thing. So it's stupid because there wasn't a lot of contact, but the attacking player is entitled to that space. He's not moving into it. It's not like a, it's not like a guy trying to take a charge, and sliding into it because really he's not vacating his position at all. He's standing right there and he pulls his foot up because he sees a trailing leg coming at him and maybe he falls over a little bit easily. I don't know, but he's entitled to that space. And if Brujo's coming through with the, to clean him out with the second leg, then I get what they're looking at. There was contact there for sure. I mean, you could go either way with it. I would prefer to just let him play on, but um, I always, I always, I always say that like, you know, put yourself in the reverse it, you know, if that was a union player and a guy was coming in with a trailing leg, would we be calling for a penalty for that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. call you, they're calling for penalties on you know, anything. On anything. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like it's, yes, that was the, the mistake, but you can also pinpoint the mistakes before the mistakes. It's almost like in, if you're going, we talk about the key pass before the key pass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the mistakes before the, the big mistakes are kind of what did the union in because exactly. you have yeah 100% you have, you have the foul before the free kick and I look Ali Bedoya <laughs> I mean was he was racking up fouls left and right uh and and I get it why he was doing that but um also 
he was close to persistent infringement, yeah, like the like, like before yeah. that foul. Yeah, before the first uh, I goal. think that I think that's part of the criticism on him for the, for this game as well. But you look at the the foul right around the backs. That was what the second or third one in the first twenty minutes. Yeah, and it eventually you know, you don't put yourself in that position to concede a fluky goal if you concede the free kick. And then same thing with the with, there was a turnover before the Martinez. Um, penalty that led them to be a little stretched out and that's what ended up forcing Martinez to go in the way he did and and kind of save save face defensively so Mm -hmm. I look at it as yeah you can you can say that they were fluky and it was a bad call but there were mistakes made by the union before those plays happened to create them that I think eventually hurt them the most and i feel like that could be that's where the criticism should be you can yeah. say whatever you want about a, a goal going off uh da- body and, and being a perfect rebound and and var is var and concacaf but uh it just felt like those mistakes before the final mistakes are, are what did them in last night. You put yourself in a position for the ref to make a dubious call yeah. because you make a mistake before that, right? Or, you know, you put yourself in a position where you may have some deflected bullshit go in because you commit a foul that you shouldn't commit. You know, it's like, it's why coaches always say like, well, we can't blame the refs. We got to take care of what we can take care of, you know? So the union shouldn't have been in any, in either one of those positions. You know, Brujo shouldn't have turned the ball over where he did. Let me touch on that just real quickly because this is what I was, you know, when you and me and Sean were doing the commentary during the game last night, I was trying to explain this. It's it's hard to explain on an audio medium, but I'll try anyway. You know, Club America didn't concede a lot of possession, but when they did, on the rare occasion that like Jacob Glessis or Jack Elliott was on the ball, what Club America did is they kind of sent this kind of one, two, three delayed pressure. So what I mean by that is like imagine that Glessis is on the ball. The nearest guy to him, the nearest Club America player is going to go to him. Then maybe like a second later, the next, second nearest player is going to go over to Jack Elliott. And they're going to try to put a, a mark each of the center backs and kind of fluster them and get a guy on them. And what they want to do is they want to create that outlet pass to Brujo Martinez, and they're going to send the third guy kind of delayed up on his back. And that's a classic like pressing cue. You know, if a guy, if you're playing a linear ball straight up the field, defensive midfielder has his back turned. Maybe you get a loose touch on the wet grass or something like that, and then you're through, right? Because you have the other two guys playing up on the center backs, and you got a 3v3 or 3v2 if you're able to get by the defensive midfielder. So they showed it a couple times, and that's how they got through on that one because there was just a couple times where Glessis and Elliott had the ball, and they didn't really have anywhere to go with it. You know, Martinez wasn't really dropping back, or he had that third guy blanketed on him. You know, Wagner and Baizo or Wagner and Powell weren't really in the play, and so they just turned, Glessis and Elliott turned and hoofed it up the field, but it's kind of annoying to see a good pressing team like the union commit a horrible turnover and penalty based off somebody pressing them. Yeah. And it, it's it, this, the style of play that we talk about with the union, I feel like has almost gone away. It, it's almost, yeah, it, it's a completely different, I don't, know, I don't know if identity is the right word, but at least like strategy in terms of this game, because you saw them. They were trying to get on the front foot in the first 10, and then they, they dropped back and and let Club America dictate the game. But I, I think it's kind of just an overall theme of the season where this isn't 2020 Union, and it's not supposed to be because every year you want to have turnover 
and change and new ideas to make yourself less predictable. But I feel like we just keep going back to the same issue of, well, if you're not pressing, something else has to work. And then what are you? Yeah. Yeah. And and the transition moments have been good in spurts, but they haven't been there a ton. So no, no. And I think last year, let me just say this before I lose the thought. Um, you know, I think because we were talking about them just kind of going right around Flock and Bedoya and trying to use the flanks. You know, I think last year Jim would have switched four two three one quite easily in the second half. You know, moved Aronson over to the flank or you know brought a bet of a more fit Ilsenio in and played him over on the flank too. But they don't, you know, they don't really have that either. So you know, it's not even like that their plan A identity looks a little bit off. It's that the plan B isn't there either. And plan, plan B is playing three strikers with one at the 10. Yeah. And it'll see yeah. you in a, in a roaming role. And look, the guys that you were going to have in this 4-2-3-1, I mean, what the heck's going on with Matt Real? Um, Matt Real, Anthony Fontana was a yeah. guy that you would you would have probably brought off the bench. You know, they, can, really, they really, really, really could have used Jamiro last night. Yeah. Um, look, Albus Powell is a guy that can potentially serve in, in one of those roles, but um, – he might be he might be starting right back for a while because uh, I think that was more than just a tooth on Bizo. I think that that had to be some type of concussion watch as well. We'll get we'll get like an official word on that next week. Man, but, that was crazy. I don't. Yeah. You know what? I, I don't. I feel, how are we twenty minutes in and, and t- not already talking about some guy losing his tooth in a I, I know, game? I know. It's just because it's a Concacaf game, and we're like we're not surprised by anything. You yeah. know, like it's it just to me. I was like, oh well, you know, we're playing a Mexican team, and a guy just lost his tooth. But it's crazy, man, how the contact just does not look um, like a lot on TV. But when you got guys, two guys who are going like full speed and yeah. you just throw an arm out there, if you catch it at the wrong spot, that's what, that's what happens. He man. hit him at the perfect angle. I know. I don't, I don't think like he, he would have had to hit him exactly at mm-hmm. that one spot for it to happen like that. And then kind of the like delay and his head turns. Oh, it was pretty, it was like pretty gross to watch. Honestly, it was. I'm not it, like, it, a, I'm not a dude who gets like, que- you know, queasy watching stuff like that. But I was like, man, that's got to suck. You're down there in Mexico. It's raining. You're in a tough game as it is. Your tooth comes out. Now you're on a plane back to looking for an emergency dentist in Mexico yeah. city. And then you're on a plane back to Philadelphia. The, the only, the only person who owns 24 hour emergency dentist shops in Mexico city is union Hulk. <laughs> oh, right. Right. Okay. So we <laughs> got to hit him up and get him in on it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I don't, you know, beyond that, what 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 did the union have off the bench? Yes, they've had an old Il Sino. Yeah. They had Stuart Finley, who's your, who's your backup center back. You got a backup goalkeeper. You got Quinn Sullivan and Corey Burke. You know, so it's it's not. So it, and that's why this Mateus Davo thing is is intriguing now because if he is a out and out lethal number nine, which I've been calling for for I think it's a tired take at this point yeah but even if he's half of that that gives you four healthy and available forwards which you haven't had all year because yeah poor jack devries hasn't been able to get a concussion protocol so you talk about that four two three one who's the one of the four that you can split out and make him a winger and that's sergio santos and you're not able to do that when you're rotating three forwards for 50% of the league season and you can't really throw that out there because if it's just Il Sino in a tactical shift, it doesn't work anymore. It, yeah. It, yeah. It, it doesn't, you need a supporting move to make that work. 
I think you can still go to it, but it it can't just be Osinho and the kids you bring on are, are more centralized players. I got one more point, and then I'm just going to kind of scan the questions here and see what we got. Um, you know, on the Burke uh, penalty no call, uh, you know, I think it's hard when two guys are kind of like in the act of like kind of going full speed in the box and kind of jostling. It's hard to kind of like establish position really. Like, so Corey Burke is not set and turned and like protecting the ball or anything like that. But um, I think it was uh, Aguilera who was on, who was on his back. See, see, the thing is when you have a 50, 50, cause a lot, well, this is what a lot of like people will say, they'll be like, well, he was just going shoulder to shoulder with him. Okay. Well, it's fine. You can go, sh- you're allowed to go shoulder to shoulder. If the, if the ball is out in front of you or it's kind of uh uh, how do I, how would I even describe this on a podcast? I don't know if, the, if, if, if you and me, Joe are both like lined up on the 50 yard line, right. And somebody kicks a ball straight down the field and you and I are both running for that ball. We can both jockey and, and tussle and shoulder each other to try to reach the ball. Right. Yeah. But if the ball is clearly on one side or the other, then the, the guy between the ball and the man can, can establish position and has a right to that position. So I think in the case of Corey Burke, I think the ball was on his side. Aguilera was goal side. You can't go through a guy or go over his back if the ball is on the other side of him. Like you can't claim 50-50 shoulder to shoulder unless you're going in a straight line for a ball where both guys have an opportunity to get it. So then I think the argument becomes whether Burke had any kind of established position or whether his back was turned or whatever, because it just seems like it was a bang-bang kind of play. And I think if it was like if Burke had was able to – if the play developed a little more slow and Burke was able to slow up and kind of hold it and turn his back and kind of shield himself a little bit. And then he got bundled over in the box. That would have been a penalty of a thousand times out of a thousand, you know, but I just want people to kind of think about like, where is the ball in, in relation to this guy shouldering him? You know, I can't just shoulder you from behind and saying, I'm going shoulder to shoulder. If the ball is on the other side of you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's gotta be also a clear and obvious error Yeah, with, with VAR. So it, I know we, kind of get caught up in shouting for bar all the time, but they're checking everything, but it's got to be clear and obvious from the call that was made on the field. And again, I don't think either penalty is a penalty. And, but I think the, the Burke one is less of a penalty. Yeah. Than the Martinez one. You would think and, that in Conca- the the irony is that like, you would think that they would not call anything. Correct. You that, know, which that, is why, which is why last night was so weird. You know, that's my that's my biggest critique of the Martinez penalty is there, there's so many there's so many harder plays like that that don't even get called. I mean, yeah. a, guy, a guy lost his tooth and there was no yellow card handed out yeah. last night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, so uh, that's what stunned me is that's kind of an innocuous challenge by Concacaf standards, and uh, you know, I thought initially it hit his right hand sliding through. I thought that's what. Obviously, it wasn't, but I thought that's what they were they were calling initially. But right, yeah, that's what we were talking about because we thought that yeah, we thought that trailing hand might have hit might have. Yeah. And in, in in that case, I would have said, okay, I get it, I get what you called it, but uh, yeah, it just seems really odd to me still, twelve hours later, that one got called and and one didn't because I, in my opinion, I think both weren't penalties and both shouldn't have been called. Yeah. But if if you're gonna call it one way 
call it another way, but that's not how it works in CONCACAF. I just hate, you know, I've said this a thousand times before. I'm I like a broken record at this point, but I just hate the fact that games are decided on that kind of bullshit, you know? Yeah. And I just wish that penalties weren't as big of a thing in soccer as they are, you know, mm-hmm. or they didn't define games the way that they do. You know, I mean, I, I think you can still have penalties can still be a thing, but like, how can we, how can we adjust it to, so that you're not having these massive shifts in momentum or games are won and lost based on some like bang, bang bullshit that some guy is looking at on a computer nine times in a row, you know, like that's not really what it should be. Yeah, The integrity of the game shouldn't come down to something like that. You're right. And if if it's something egregious that they miss, like that's what far is there for, but they've they've overcomplicated far and overused it. And I think we're all in agreement with that, not just, uh, based off of watching how many reviews of, of Jose Martinez' the slide tackle last night, it just yeah. it's kind of just a, a theme of of soccer now. You know, I mean, watch the Premier League today. How many, even though they've kind of adjusted their their guidelines, they're still going to screw up plenty of times. And I guarantee you, count you can probably count the number of our screw ups in the first two weeks. I'll give them two weeks. I'll be nice on <laughs> <laughs> on on both hands. You, you'll see it. I'll give them a. I'll give them a pass for this week, but yeah, it's it's a mess, and they just need to not overcomplicate it like they do. Um, I solicited questions last night. I got a ton of them. So, I mean, normally what I do is I just read everybody's question individually and like say their Twitter handle and stuff like that. I don't think we have time for that. We'd be here forever. So, and we touched on a lot of the stuff too. So, I'm just going to kind of go down and rip through a couple of these. And um, how about you stop me if there's a point you want to make or there's something okay. specific you want to rep- respond to here. Um, uh, Ricky says, when will Fontana officially make his return to the game day lineup? I assume Wednesday, but is that too hopeful? Are he and Real out at the end of the season? Both of their contracts end this year. Yeah, uh, there's, I mean, Curtin said, I think last week that Fontana passed the heading part of protocol. So I guess he's just yeah. working back into fitness. The Real thing's weird because he's usually in that match day squad. There's been some Twitter rumors about him being traded, but you would have thought that would have happened already if it did. Yeah. And there's rumors of a homegrown left back being signed, but I don't think an 18 year old would step right into the match day squad. He would have been signed already if that was the case. So that, that one's the real thing is a lot more peculiar than Fontana. I haven't heard, uh, there hasn't been much smoke and you'd think there'd be more for a guy who uh, is typically in that 18. Did we learn anything more? About Jamiro in like the last week and a half or whatever, because no, I, I think I think, think, think JT came out and he said it had something. Or he, uh, I was it about his family not being, or he wasn't able to see his family. That, or that move like is that. is such a in a peculiar peculiar spot because I've kind of did some digging and and I think it was Fire Nord and Anderlecht, mm-hmm. two that um, were mentioned in Europe. These are teams that are. I think it's fair that they're on that borderline every year of Europa League, Champions League qualifying yeah. type teams. Those teams already have their rosters pretty much set in early August. Yeah, they've, they've gone through preseason. They know who they have. Their league seasons, I believe, have started. And I think one of the two—I don't know which one—added one of like Bayern's reserves on loan in midfield too. Mm-hmm. So it, it from like digging, it, it just felt like okay, they make sense in terms of the context of the player, but in the context of the teams that are mentioned, it doesn't because doesn't they're, they're, already, they're already pretty much set. I would think France would be the, the destination, if anything. 
Yeah, like a second crack at that. You know, I just try to jump into Miro's head and think about what he's thinking. And, you know, I think people sometimes forget that he came over here on loan to get out of a bad situation in France. And, uh, you know, the loan expired, but the union made a big deal about paying money for him. I don't know how much money is a motivating factor. I'm not sure. But, you know, they paid a good amount to retain him. And, you know, maybe he was always in the mindset. Maybe it's like a Boric Dogecow kind of thing where it's like, look, just get me the hell out of China. No, it wasn't necessarily that he was like, yeah, I want to come over and play an MLS or like am I in Philadelphia or anything like that. It was like, hey, here's an out, you know, yeah, and, 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 and I'm not accusing. I don't want anybody no. to think, like I'm accusing Jamiro of anything. I'm just trying to play it out in my head. It's like, how, how, how would I? Yeah, I think this is such a, a complex situation where I know the, the Nagara thing is the immediate connection. But I think there's a little more to it because I think at this point in his career, Montero has a lot more to give than, than Vince did. Yeah. But uh, I, you know, we kind of that's our default comparison. But yeah, it's it's so complex because you know if the family thing is is the main reason, you can't fault him for that. He's a human being first. But then yeah. the, there's a business side to it too, and the union it, it's their highest paid player, highest paid incoming transfer fee in club history. He's a DP. You want to recoup something for him instead of just letting him go because if you let him go, no matter what the personal situation. Uh, you're going to catch shit for it and it's going to be it's not going to be good it's just hard to think it's hard to fathom that they sold Aronson they sold McKenzie um, got a little bit of a windfall from that make it to the semifinals of the Champions League and they got zero DPs out there you know, like, and they're still what contending for what a top two spot in Eastern Conference. Yeah, and like, I, you know, it, it, I, I'm conflicted on that because it's like, well, look how competitive they've been while doing it, quote unquote, their way. Um, but okay, have you made the little extra investment here in personnel? What could you be? You know, that's why it's like infuriating in a way because it's like. Jay Sugarman said he wanted to do things differently. They're doing things differently. They're finding success with their model and doing it their way. But there's still room to. <laughs> to to build on that and improve yeah and it's, and it's competitive. also so it's, it's like why why if it's if the i i did, i just hate the fact that it's like the avenues all the different avenues are there to traverse you nailed the academy mm-hmm. like you're nailing these like mid-level like you know glue guy kind of foreign signings but like you can still make you can still do a home run signing too you know like and that home, and pushes that- you over the edge against club america and the friggin semifinals of the champions league if you're not going to do it now then when or are you ever going to do it you know and that, that home run signing doesn't have to be nani from the european leagues it can no. be a, it can be a diego valeri type and i think that's what look to their credit they've done a lot better in south america than the previous era but look we all know i think we're all kind of accepting the fact that jose martinez has gone after this season because yeah. of how well he played at Co. and that's a good thing and this Bueno guy, you would we all assumed was Martinez is like for like, but now it's it's cyclical. They're still maintaining that success. I mean, you can't if I come back to you in December and say, hey, the Union finished in the top three in the East, made the Concacaf Champions League semifinal, won at what one or two playoff games. Yeah you still view that as a, a successful season. You do. It's just ha- like, then I think what's happening, what's going to happen, what would happen if that progressed that way is that people would kind of brand them as a selling club, mm-hmm. you know, and how do, and you, you, I don't have to tell you this, you know, like I cannot sell that shit to the four for four doofuses. No. 
out there. Well, why did they get rid of their best player? I'm like, well, it, you it know, is, transfers. It, and... <laughs> it is a lot better than FC Dallas's model. Yeah, it's you know, it's just I, I it's weird because you kind of find yourself in like this constant purgatory. Like you're competitive, and you're making these great signings, and the academy's pumping dudes out and stuff like that, but. At this end of the day, you're playing for an American crowd, yeah. you know, an American fan base. And like, you know, the American fans are more like Mike Singletary, right? Like, I want winners. But you, I also you know? have to point out, though, you definitely see an increased presence in, in South American fans with a guy like Jose Martinez and, and Sergio Santos. That's true. In the stands. So you, you are drawing a different type of fan than you were three years ago. But I absolutely get point, too, is you still want to draw – you know, Joe from the Northeast to come down and at least be interested in the game. Yeah. And you want to, you want to build on, you've tasted success with the COVID shield, you know, and which is an achievement. It's just a different kind of achievement. And so you want to build on that success, you know? Um, And so so at some point you got to, like teams like Arsenal find, well, maybe they're not the best, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) you know, Ajax isn't a good example either because they, uh, you know, Salt Salzburg or like Anderlecht or the, look at look at what Salzburg did. They just sold Pat Sendaka for how much? Yeah, and they're and, still and they're, and they're still they're still going to win their league, still going to be yeah. in the Champions League and be competitive. Azed Alkmaar when Ernie was there, you know, they were doing the same kinds of things too. So I think the Union kind of know what they want to be. It's you know you got to nail everything and get a lot of things right. You know if you're going to buy low and sell high and do that, and you got to kind of placate a crowd too. I feel like people are warming up. I feel like the cave four for four cavemen are warming up to the union a little bit, but it's still hard for us to explain those concepts to them. Like, well, you know, you sell to the best team, and they're like, well, why don't we want to be the best team? I'm like, well, eventually we'll get. You know, it's like it's like beating over head with a club. The good news is that the pathway to that big name signing, even though it should have happened already at least at Ford, is a lot easier now because, A, you have the McKenzie Aronson types playing in Europe, but you also have... That's true. You also have these these South American guys. And look, this club was not known for signing talented South Americans. There are very few... Right, Porfirio Lopez does not fit the bill, you know? Yeah, or Fernando Aristiquieta or <laughs> yeah. somebody like that. Like, yeah. bringing in a, a Martinez and him eventually progressing to Europe and Santos having success, like a sustained amount of success opens the door for you to find more of those guys in a Brazil, in Argentina, a Venezuela, like yeah. some Do other you, clubs have. You know, and it's like, I think maybe, I think when Jim was on the podcast, I think I was talking about this with him, but it's like, you know, when you are, when you are Clemson and Bama and you've put so many guys in the NFL then the recruiting speaks for itself. Like it's like auto recruiting, you know, because people are yeah. like, well, I'll go here. I'm going to have a chance to play at the next level. And, that, so and that's why these... so many European clubs just go to FC Dallas and say, oh, you have potential. Cool. We'll sign you for like $2 million. Like what do you got? Yeah. So that, that, that helps in recruitment, you know, because now people are saying, well, look, Aronson went over there. McKenzie went over there. Montero was yeah. able to revive, revive his career in Philadelphia. And uh, Aaron, Aronson is going to be the, the Weston McKenney. That yeah. was for. Yeah. I know it's different because McKenney didn't play for FC Dallas, but Weston McKenney kind of helped barnstorm all those signings in Dallas even more. And I think Aronson more than McKenzie because he's an attacker and it's probably going to be sold from his club sooner. I think that's the kind of open the doors moment that again helps. It's only going to be 
it's only going to help the, the club's reputation for sure. I'm going to rip through a couple more of these yep. here. Um, Giants dumpster fire. Do we need to be looking at a Burke and Santos combo up top? I would do it because I think Corey is more effective than Cashburg for sure. Cause I think he can make himself a handful and kind of like get up on guys and make them uncomfortable. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's time to give that a run. I think Casper's just in a little bit of a cold spell and that happens with strikers, but uh, yeah, I think Corey and Sergio would be a nice pairing to just run out and, and see what they can do. A lot of comments about Gaj Dog not really clicking yet. I, there's a lot of comments here about Ali being slow and off the pace, and I think that's true too. He was just behind on a couple of those yeah. tackles early where he, just, he didn't look like himself. Maybe, you know, maybe all the – look, here's the thing about Ali Bedoya too. Like he locked it. Not only is he like 33 years old or about to become 34 or whatever, but he's, he's an old – Yep. 33 and what i mean by that you know is that he's just has a ton of mileage on his legs he's played a ton of games in france here international so you know I he catches I, catches up with you i think you could do ollie for 60 and glenn sullivan or aronson for 30 yeah. against america in like two and, and be okay with that um let me see what else uh what you know and a lot and this is the other one too what's it going to take to kind of get Brujo to kind of just calm down a little bit, you know, and uh, I think he had like I, I think he has by his standard. It's just um, you're still going to get those moments, but I think it, yeah. this this season and last season there was a point where he got too aggressive, like the NYC red card this year, and that was kind of a wake up call. He's curbed that aggression a lot. He's been a lot more disciplined, and I think Jim even noted that in a press conference, but you still have those moments. But I mean, is that slide tackle last night just based off of his reputation or are other players going to make that tackle too, because it's, it's a recovery move. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, it was weird. I think I would just wrap it up on this. I would say that like, you know, when you don't have a lot of the ball and then the ball does find you like, Oh shit, what now? You know, now we got to get in position and the yeah. fullbacks got to come back. We got to show and stuff like that. And I think that kind of happened with them where I, there was a couple of moments where Glessness was like, kind of like, like, like looking at the rest of the dudes like, Hey, who's coming to get this ball, yeah. you know? And that's how that happens when you're playing that kind of game. But look, if you if we're going to end it on it, let's end it on a positive note. Like they ain't out of it. And, mm-hmm. and that's, this, that's you, me, Sean, everybody, all we, all we asked for, was for this game in September at Subaru Park to mean something. And that's where we are. Game means something. They're not out of it. They didn't get blown off the field list. They didn't play an amazing game, but they didn't play a shitty game either. And 2 nothing is manageable. If they came back here 3 nothing, the fans would be – the stands would be full of Club America fans. If they came 4 nothing, uh, the stadium would be half empty. So I think all things considered – and knowing what what it was going into this, it's hard for me to be disappointed with two nothing. It's just yeah. hard. it's hard for me. And, and if you're the club, you're that narrative should have already gone out. It's what twelve forty five on a Friday. Yeah. I should have seen something at nine a.m. And that this club has <laughs> a, a big. I'm talking just from a pure marketing standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Of just like we're still in it. We only lost two nothing. Everyone, get your asses in these seats. We want it to be the best <laughs> environment in club history. Yeah. And, and and really, you have a month to build up to this on the field and off the field. And if you, you have to treat it like, what, 10 billion Open Cups combined. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they should, it's it's funny, the bread. They should have got, like, the marketing dude or the ticket dude or whoever the hell does it should have got on the – should have blasted uh, uh, email to all of the uh, – 
people in the sales department mm-hmm. saying, you motherfuckers better start selling yeah. this stuff because we're still, this is what we're going to do. You know, like that's, that's the best thing ever. Cause could you imagine if they finally like had a, had a huge, like massive um, game where all the fans were allowed in the stadium again, and then it didn't mean anything because they lost like three, nothing or four, nothing. And, and look, I, the, I mentioned the home stretch in league play for a reason earlier, these guys are going to be in their comfort zone. They've been away. They've been dealing with, you know, whatever it may be. They don't have to leave the Northeast until the second week yeah. of October. It's huge. It's it's a big stretch not only to make sure they get a home playoff game and and they're not going to challenge New England, but they can absolutely beat out Orlando or Nashville for the two seed. Uh, there's a big stretch for that. And then if you create that on-field momentum, it only helps with the buzz off the field and it helps, you know, and look, I know the diehards – a game against Club America at home that means something speaks for itself, but everyone else, you got to get to rally around it because you want what's it, eighteen seven or something like that at Subaru. Yeah. You want ninety percent of that. It's not going to be hundred. Guarantee you it won't. You want eighty-five to ninety percent of that to be blue and gold, and for it to be as much of a home field advantage as it can. And if there's a lot of Club America fans at Subaru for the second leg, we'll just uh, get the F-Lot crew to come down and take care of that. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to talk to them ever again. Uh, Joe Tanzi, I appreciate the Positadelphia. I appreciate the pragmatic and reasonable thought. Good discussion. Thanks for joining me as always. And uh, you guys know you can always listen to Joe on the uh, Gambler uh, pregame, postgame. Uh, with Sean Brace and John Jansen, mostly John though. Sean is uh, does does his thing during the day, obviously. So John, Jansen. yeah, we have a we have a lot of stuff behind the scenes for for football season. So Sean's been, if he's not on air, he's been he's been cooking up stuff on that yeah. side. Yeah, never uh, never a day off for Sean unless he uh, falls asleep accidentally. <laughs> um, it's always soccer in Philadelphia, and we will see you next time.